Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I'm joined by two gentlemen, Nathan Pearson, Vice President of Human Resources, and Bill Neese, Senior Vice President of Talent Acquisition, both from Paycor. Paycor is a human capital management HCM software company based in Cincinnati, Ohio, that has experienced tremendous growth over the last few years. The company itself is 30 years old, but has more than doubled in the last five years from 900 to 1900 employees. In this conversation, we get into talent acquisition, Bill's specialty, talking about how they train interviewers and have built themselves as a destination company. And we get into talent development and the wide array of growth opportunities that they have within the organization. One statistic in particular that stood out was that 25% of the workforce transitions within the company to a new role every year. And that's not just promotions. That's somebody who applies for a different internal position, interviews, and and lands that job. So the mobility within the company is incredible. I really enjoyed this conversation. They're great guys and had a lot of good tidbits to share with the audience. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, here are Nathan and Bill. And we are live with Nathan and Bill. Gentlemen, I appreciate you making the time here today. look forward to diving in and learning a little bit more about Paycor. So, Brian, pleasure to be here and uh, excited to get the conversation started. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I guess it'd be good just to kind of start at the beginning if one of you gentlemen would like to pitch the company and kind of just give you know some high level insight and, and some stats and figures. Yeah, so I'm the TA guy, so I'll, I'll do a little bit of the pitching. So Paycor is a, a fully unified SaaS-based HR technology platform um, where we support the SMB market, right? Which includes our industry expertise. So some of our clients are in healthcare, nonprofits, quick serve, restaurants, manufacturing, just to name a few. We consider that we deliver an unmatched client experience through high-touch, high-value implementations focused on training and adoption, where we're looking at vertical go-to-market expertise that aligns with our buyers. We deliver this dedicated concierge service for onboarding. Our platform modernizes the way you manage people from the way you recruit and onboard to developing talent and the way you retain them. And, you know, whatever an organization's goals are within the SMB market, we can, we can help them accomplish it through our tech and through our best in class, what we consider our support and thought leadership. And we've got quite a few functionalities across this, you know, unified SaaS-based HR platform. We've got, you know, at the very 
foundation recruiting and ATS. We've got onboarding and learning management and scheduling and analytics and payroll, tax and compliance, right? So that, that's, that's our platform as a whole. And, and we've been doing this for a long time, right? So Paycor, we've had 30 years of HCM expertise. The, the, the company's founded by Bob Coughlin um, and is 30 years old. We've got 2 million employees on the platform. We've got around 1,900 associates spread across the U.S. And we've been experiencing some pretty incredible, robust growth prior to COVID and now past COVID, where we've been hitting 20% annual growth, um, you know, from, from, from almost the beginning. So um, pretty exciting story and some really good tech that, that, we're, uh, that we're out there providing to our clients. And for anyone uh, listening, that is the voice of Bill. And the other voice you'll hear is going to be Nathan. Nathan, anything to add to that? No, no I think it's a good uh, it's a good summary and a good recap. But I think the conversation will be good today because Bill's been here, I think, just a shade north of five years. So the experience and the visibility he's had through like the, that really accelerated growth these last handful of years. I've only been with the company since December of this past year. So uh, three months in of that even with, with some changes there, but yeah, you know, coming into to Paycor where we were really experiencing in the midst of that growth pre-pandemic and pre-COVID. Now, the last six months, obviously, from moving to a virtual first organization, changes in the midst of of COVID and everything else. So, um, I think between the two of us, we give some pretty good perspectives. Bill, how big was the company when you joined? Uh, roughly just under uh, 900 associates, which was back in 2015. And how many today? Roughly about 1,900 associates um, as it stands today. Yeah, so more than double in five years yep. from a pretty sizable business to, to start with, which is great. What makes Paycor unique from a people perspective? Yeah, so I'll take the, the intro on this. Um, so a, a few things, and Nathan can touch on employee experience and development and all that. But one of my favorite stats for, for Paycor as a whole is employee mobility, right? Um, employee mobility in a lot of cases leads to high, high retention within associates. And we, we move 25% of our associates into new roles annually. So when you say mobility, you mean, you mean moving from one role or one department in the company into a different role or different department? That's correct. So 25% of our associates annually move into a different role. Wow. And is that just promotions or is that like entirely different departments that that would be considered anybody that officially interviews for a role and that could be a promotable role or a lateral role to, to develop a certain skill set interesting so could you elaborate on that a little bit like where does that come from because not all companies are that way so where's the where does that culture come from and that the belief system to be shuffling people around like that. Yeah, I think one's the the importance on culture and retention, right? So driving opportunity to pay core associates first before we go out into the market is paramount in our minds. So we always make sure that internal interviews are conducted prior to going to the outside, normally five to seven days before we go to the outside. Um, and, and we feel like developing associates and putting those dollars in them and getting them different opportunities is going to, you know, make them stick with, with Paycor for the long run. It's all about, you know, taking care of associates first. And that's what we believe we do. So what do you look for then in the interview process? Because 
I've been thinking about this. There's a gentleman who I had on here a couple months ago, and he has a book coming out this fall. And they talk a lot about talent and talent acquisition. And um, I've just been watching some of the videos that he's been putting out around this book launch and talks a lot about interviewing for skill and experience versus interviewing for character adaptability you know, that kind of thing. So what are you looking for in your interviews, whether you're interviewing somebody outside or somebody internal? Yeah. So I think skill is always going to be important, but I definitely don't think it's the most important. I think it's the intangibles that are most important in my mind, um, kind of those soft skills. So for, for Paycor, you know, first and foremost, we, we ensure that anybody and everybody that touches the interview process of Paycor has been trained in our higher certification. And what higher stands for is simply how to interview for the right employee. And, and to directly answer your question, it focuses on consistently training associates to assess talent through consistent behaviors. And I'll give you a, just a quick example of those behaviors. So somebody trained in hire is going to consistently assess a candidate on their ability to be driven to learn or their ability to problem solve or be adaptable. Um, and we use that that higher interview certification through our interview managers and people that touch the process. And then we provide them with the assessment techniques and tools to derive that consistent interview process and really peel back the onion within those, um, you know, soft and, and hard skills. Is hire something you created or is that something that somebody brought into the organization and adopted? Yeah. So uh, give a shout out to interview toolkit um, or interview toolbox. Sorry. Um, ben Gotkin over Interview Tool, Toolbox. Um, we partnered with them and uh, talked a little bit about what our goals and objectives were. We, um, they, they came in, partnered with us. We had some powwows with the executive committee and then on down through the organization to determine right, what are the behaviors that are most important to pay for and then how can we assess within those behaviors. And then we started to go to, to, to market, um, if you will, developing the tools and techniques that all hiring managers and recruiters would utilize consistently to assess that. Then we developed the, 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 the training on the back end. And pre, pre-COVID, all of our hire interview certification was done on site. We'd fly people into Cincinnati, show off our headquarters, get them, asset, or get them certified, and then send them back to their location. However, with, with COVID, we had, we had to really adjust, right? So we've taken the program 100% virtual um, from here on out. And as you can imagine, right, you can, we can probably certify more individuals virtually than we can, you know, in person. So this might seem like it's getting into the weeds, but I, I find this really interesting right now because I've been, I mentioned the videos I've been watching. I've been thinking a lot about how I interview people and, and what our process looks like. When you put that assessment together with the folks from Interview Toolbox, is that a standard process where you're looking for standard things across all positions within the business? Or are there different, I mean, there's obviously different skill sets, but are there different values or characteristics that you're looking for based on different people within the organization? Yeah, the, For the most part, the behaviors that we're leveraging are going to be consistent across the organization. But when we're looking for a software engineer versus a major market seller, there might be some techniques that we're assessing on that's a little bit different there. And so then what is the what do the questions look like to get to character? Yeah, we'll, we'll give you the exact questions, but our, our, our methodology is all about peeling back the onion, right? It, it doesn't matter what the question is versus 
what the, the follow up two or three questions deep is to really pick apart and assess what they're, what they're telling you, i.e., is it real? Is this something that they had real experience with? Or as you peel back that onion and you go four layer, layers deep and you say, tell me a little bit more about that and give me an example of either the individual definitely swims or, or the story fo- starts to fall apart a little bit, right? So um, that, that's what this, this higher certification is all about is peeling back the onion and trying to feel, you know, feel out through the process what is real and what might be embellished a little bit. Are you looking for specific experiences from their lives? Like you're looking for the story behind their general answer? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we really like to see is early life achievement. So that that's one of those kind of the story behind the candidate that we like to talk a little bit about. Um, and that could be somebody playing sports back in college or high school or whatever the case is. But you just peel back the onion with their questions and, you know, tell me a little bit about more about that. What'd you like about that? What'd you dislike about that? All right, give me a, a, an example of when you did X and it made you feel like X, right? Some pretty basic stuff, but you start to really understand the motivations of the individuals and what those underlying behaviors that they gravitate towards are. That's interesting. That makes me think of Angela Duckworth's book, uh, Grit, Mm -hmm. where she talks about like the benefit of from an early age sticking with whatever the sport is. I think I I can't remember the specifics, but up to a certain age, you can kind of jump around and try different things. I think it maybe is when you hit eighth grade or high school, she was suggesting to have your kids commit to one thing and that they had to do it for at least two years and just the value that that brings to somebody to be able to stick with something. But Angela Duckworth's book, book, Grit, is one of the reasons and how we define one of our behaviors, which is grit. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic read. So you had mentioned you fly everybody into Cincinnati. And that was something I wanted to talk about, too, is the fact that you are in Cincinnati. So you are a high growth tech company that's founded in the Midwest. And, you know, that's a little bit rare. And it's, it's one of the reasons I thought it would be fun to, to do this. You know, you think of tech, you think of Silicon Valley, you think of New York, maybe, you know, you think of Chicago or some other hubs uh, out there. What has the experience been like building tech within the Midwest? Yeah. So I'll take this one, a, cu- a couple of things there, right? Pre-COVID, right? You walk into Paycor's building or corporate headquarters in in Norwood, which O'Brien, you probably know where that is. Being a, a, a Miami U grad, we feel like, or we felt like, we were the Silicon Valley of the Midwest. That's the way we operate. That's probably the the look and feel of of the building, etc. My my two cents is the Midwest is absolutely ripe with talent. And as long as the organization has, you know, a, a decent to good reputation and, and the product applies well um, and equips itself with a talented, you know, structured interview team and a, t- a talented talent acquisition team, feel like the, the, the sky's the limit. Some of that goes back to being able to predict what you're capable of delivering within the Midwest and within against an organization's expectations. And one of the things that we do as we're recruiting the Midwest and other territories across the U.S. is we leverage data to understand what's required at the top of each funnel to drive the ultimate outcome for each hire. So a quick example of that is we, we call that optimized candidate funnels. And we, we take those optimized candidate funnels, we tie them in re- recruiter capacity, we create recruiter scorecards for each team member, similar to what a sales team does, right? 
And that provides our recruiters and team members with the overview regarding what's going to be required to be successful from a, from a Canada pipeline standpoint. And they can look at that each week, each month, each quarter. It also allows us to predict with 99% plus accuracy, you know, when we're talking about communicating back to the business and finance, what the team will be delivering from a, from a headcount um, perspective. And are you finding when you're going out and recruiting those people that they're coming in with the skill sets that you need? I know we talked about recruiting for character, but going back to the skill sets, are you finding that that tech talent is coming in with the skill sets or have you had to bolster your training and development programs to kind of get them to the place that you need? Yeah, I'd punt on the, the training and development over to Nathan, but one, I'd say it's, it's a combination of both, right? With, with any company, i.e. In, in engineering, we're hiring entry-level engineers out of you know, Miami, UC, NKU, Ohio State, et cetera, and we're giving them the career path to, to develop into enterprise architects. Um, we, we're also hiring very experienced engineers that we might need to deploy on an upcoming project that's launching in you know, 180 days and get them on right now. So it's definitely a combination of entry-level skill set talent against mid-to-experienced individuals. And, and one of the things I'll add before Nathan can, can address kind of on the talent development side is when we're going to market and when we're in the Midwest, right, and we're leveraging this data to drive predictability, we're utilizing a, a fully centralized talent acquisition team that's, that's ingrained with the business. And, you know, some companies, you know, do a little bit of post and pray and some uh, apply this headhunter mentality. And we... We employ a headhunter mentality and utilize some strategic sourcing and intentional messaging. And we try to deliver the best possible can experience that we can for, for every candidate that touches PayCorps. And we believe in that in this market, whether it's Midwest or other, while utilizing strategic sourcing and intentional messaging and high touch can experiences, that that we can we can win and we're well positioned in the market, you know, regardless of if the business is asking us for five engineers or, or 50 engineers, we, we feel like we can deliver, gets back to your original question, because the Midwest is ripe with talent. So Nathan, I want to get to you, and you've been sitting very patiently. Bill, you just keep giving me good stuff to dive into here. And you had talked about the specifics of the messaging that you use. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you craft those messages to make them specific? 100%. So th- there's, there's two or three trains of thoughts with this. And We've all seen examples of, of this as people have tried to recruit O'Brien, whether it's you or Nathan or myself or anybody else, um, you know, listening is either a recruiter is going to send a book of information through an in-mail or an email to a particular candidate. That's not specific to anything. It, it goes something like, hey, we're a best-in-class organization voted as a top workplace. We have X amount in revenue, mobility, and um, X amount of associates, great career pathing with strong retention, right? Just puking information back to the candidate, but really not specific whatsoever to them. So normally, you know, a generalized message like that, which it's okay, a lot of companies use that. That's probably a 5 to 10% response rate, whether that's through email or through a LinkedIn recruiter account. However, this is just my take for what it's worth. In this market, in any tight market, it's all about pulling at the heartstrings of the candidate and being incredibly intentional what you put in that, that 
that that verbiage in that email, in that text, in that in that email. And it has to be specific to them and, and their experience and their profile. So, you know, one of the things I always use when I'm talking about intentional messaging is sounds so nutty, but if you see that they went in their profile, let's just say Graham High School in St. Paris, Ohio, and you know that um, this individual, maybe they have listed it in their profile, you know, wrestled back in the day for Graham High School in St. Paris, Ohio. You say, hey, congrats on the, the, the most recent national uh, championship for Graham High School in the subject line. Just get them to open up and double click on that email. They double click on that and you start to say, hey, love the experience you got at A, B, and C organization that plays extremely well at PayCore. You've also been referred in by A, B, and C over at PayCore, and you're a can't miss individual. Would love to jump on the call for, you know, for five minutes with you. You keep it very short and sweet. You pull out their heartstrings and what they're passionate about, and you be um, intentional about the details that you're pulling from their LinkedIn profile in the body of that email. Yeah, try to make it real. Yeah, you, you got to make it real, or it's just going to be another click and delete, click and delete. So the, the only thing I wanted just to say, what well, Bill and the, the TA team have done a phenomenal job, but from somebody who has joined the organization in the last nine months and who was part of an organization that was similar kind of on the trajectory and the scale of where Paycor is at. The other thing I think when we look at like Paycor and where it's at is the the reputation. So when you've got a reputation, you've got years of growth, you've got great relationships in the community and the customers. I mean, it's a destination company. I mean, so when you think about the trajectory, the track record of where it's at, and then from going from like in Bill's five years from 900 folks up to 1900, and you look around the city and you look around the region, there are destination companies and Paycor is one of those. And I can say that because from the external point of view and the company it was I was at, we had, again, a similar path and a lot of the similarities from that standpoint, but there were a short list of us. So when we looked at competition and who was out there, yeah, Paycor was definitely a, a player and a competitor in that space. And it's got a great story to tell. So all the efforts, all the, the, the things that they'll talk about, all the tactics... When you're also winning, when you've also got this culture and you've got this brand and this reputation, I mean, it just compounds it too. So, yeah, well, and that's a chicken or an egg kind of thing too, right? Because you get people who are like, well, they're a destination organization. And it's like, well, yeah, but how do you think they became a destination organization, right? It's by doing all the little things right. We, we have an annual meeting every year where all the producers, which is what I am from around the, really around the world, come in. And I remember there was a guy standing up there who I find to be very thoughtful and is kind of a mentor of mine. And, and he was on stage and he was talking about whose time is more important, the senior person who has a lot of business or the new person who has no business. And his argument was everybody thinks it's the senior person, but the reality is it's the new person because they're the one who has to prove themselves. And so many people all the time are like, well, you can do that. You can afford to take the time to do that because you're a bigger, you know, you have a book of business, you're a bigger producer. But the reality is he was like, well, yeah, but how do you think I got there? Like I got there by acting this way when I had nothing and having those good habits in place year over year over year, delivering that good experience year over year over year. And now I have a big book of business and I sell a lot more every year because people know I'm going to deliver that experience. And it's similar to what you're talking about here, which is you do all the little things right that's going to build you that reputation. And then that's going to make you that destination, which then allows you more opportunities to do the little things right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Sorry, that was my rant on that. 
So Nathan, want to make sure we get to the training too, because I find that to be a really interesting topic. How is the company thinking about training today? And like, what are your observations around training and, and where that is going within the company? Yeah, Paycor is a really interesting company from that standpoint of the investment, the, the commitments, and just the conversations and emphasis and focus put on uh, training and development. So when, when you look across the organization, uh, we've got training centralized uh, today. So we've got an individual that sits uh, as a peer to, uh, to, to Bill and I that really has you know, product training, sales training, the client training, so the, the external, the customer service training, those aspects of it. And again, having been at different organizations, different companies that have been really successful, I think one of the things that's evident right when you walk in is the investment that Paycor makes into to training and into development. So um, when you go look at some of the accolades and the, the awards and, and the data and things that are behind it, yeah, there, there's a huge commitment. And we've got really top shelf experiences for folks, whether that's um, the sellers as they join the organization. Now, it's been an interesting piece because the same thing, as Bill talked about how we interviewed on site, we also trained on site. So there's been a huge uh, yeah, shift these last yeah, six months to be able to really quickly pivot and to, to ramp up how you train and how you onboard in the virtual environment and those things. But for us, um, sellers and first year retention, I mean, it's about how do you, how do you get our sellers up to speed um, as soon as possible? And how do you accelerate them so they're going out there and having success and having wins because that creates engagement and that creates the retention of the sellers and those things. So it's always the opportunity of, you know, what, how are we doing? How can we improve and, and the type of content and how it's hitting the mark? So uh, frontline sellers, um, regional sales directors, our client services organization, uh, it's a big emphasis and it's a big investment that Paycor makes. Are you doing that completely internally or do you work with outside vendors, consultants who come in and help specific to the sales training piece? There are components. So the the delivery is is internal. Um, I won't say there aren't times when it comes to like instructional design. We've got a full service uh, shop internally, but um, I think any organization when they balance the capacity and expertise and things like that, there are pieces where we do have some really good partnerships where there's some companies we use where it may be a quick spin up on, the, on a certain design aspect or taking a concept and yeah, creating the, the e-learn or the, the visual piece from like a learning standpoint. So we do have some good and strong partnerships there, but no, I mean, the, the vast majority, it's, it's internal and it, it's the team and the effort that they put around it. And is that the same experience if you are call it a junior person or or early in your career versus a more ex- experienced person? Uh, it's really dependent upon about yeah, that? it's really dependent upon the, the role that they come into. So um, you don't really opt out. Like if you're coming into uh, one of our sales roles, you don't opt out just because you have um, the different experiences and things you bring you, you bring to it. That there's the the way that that our business operates, like the, the history, our customers, our platform. Um, there's a lot that you go through from that standpoint to be able to understand because it is it is different. Um, and Bill can speak more towards uh, like the candid makeup and the experience and those types of things of, of what successful people look like. But sometimes, and then you can bring in really strong sellers that have deep experience. You can also bring in people, as Bill mentioned earlier, that have the right capabilities and the aptitude and things like that. Uh, and sometimes they don't have some of the, the some of the the baggage, some of the experience that, that they brought uh, with them from other companies. So uh, it's really role specific, uh, not not level. 
just sort of two more questions around that and kind of how you break that training. So we've been talking about sales training, but what about programmers, IT folks, that kind of thing? Like what, what does the training look like to support folks who aren't on the front line selling? Yeah, so that's going to be probably a little bit outside of my my expertise. With that, we've got that's yeah, fair. Well, so we, we, we've got a leader that that sits again under our, our head of learning um, that supports our you know, our product engineering and our IT organization. So um, they've got someone targeted into that, but it's not going to be programmatic. I mean, I can speak to that. It's not programmatic of hey, you come in and you go through this. Um, they would go uh, come in and they'd be onboarded through our Ignite like onboarding program to understand again core how we work, how we operate, those things, customers, pieces of it. But then they would go into to, to their team. So a lot of that really falls on to the, the, the manager and the team and the functional area. But there are different pieces and different aspects that they do training and different pieces around, but it's not like a formalized program. But if you ask me any questions in depth about those pieces, I, I, I can't answer those for you. So. so you may not be able to answer this next question too, which is totally fair. Because like you said, there's you have somebody in-house that does this specifically. So... That's okay if, if you decide to pass. But talking about leadership development and leadership coaching, like, can you talk to what that looks like? Are you doing anything specific to how PACOR leaders are leading the people? Yeah, so that I can speak a little bit more towards because that is uh, something that as I've come in, that's it's really centralized and we, we brought it uh, like into my, my function in my, my world today. So what I would say there is like, it's a journey with where we're at. We've got some, some really good programs that we do and that, that we offer out uh, to folks today. But as far as the consistency to say, hey, this is exactly what a paid core leader looks like. And these are the attributes and the behaviors and things like that. That's part of the, the journey and part of the map that, that we're on. Because ultimately, as Bill talked about the, the hiring and the behaviors, there's a subset of behaviors and those have come out of the guiding principles that come out of the strategic plan and those pieces to say, this is what we're hiring towards. That also needs to be the exact same piece that we go back and we say, this is exactly what we're uh, building and developing our, our leaders around. So, yeah. Well, and that leadership training just seems to be one of the harder elements to put in place because it's so personal. It seems like what you really need is individualized coaching, which is much more expensive and people often can't afford that for leaders across the entire organization. So you've got to, at least the companies that I've seen out there are trying to balance, you know, who are the leaders that you really invest in and how do you get them the individualized coaching that they need versus more of a broad sort of leadership philosophies, that type of a thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good call. And we actually just went through the last couple of weeks of, um, a multitude of what we call like our talent review sessions and discussions with our executive committee. Um, and that really is our approach and our philosophy when you start to look at especially senior talent in the organization and those things, there are components. So really what when I talk about a playbook or a framework, some of that is just knowing what tools you have in your tool, tool belt and, and where, where to go and where you may have programs or partnerships or coaches and those things. Some of it is just having the visibility into that to say, okay, here's what this individual needs. So we're going to do this assessment. We're going to do this 360. They're going to get a coach. And by the way, they're going to take this. They need um, some type of, uh, I don't know, leadership program, or they need a um, technical program, whatever that looks like. You can go off and you either have something in-house to where it's a broader need, or you say, but this makes a lot of sense and we can go out to a top you know, business school or a different consulting practice or something like that uh, to put uh, folks through it. So that's the approach today. 
I think what, what you start to look at, though, is just building out, again, that framework of, okay, how, how do you go in so you're not starting from scratch each time? And that's the important piece of coaching and development and those pieces to know, look, this is a common thread throughout, so you're going to build something in-house. Or in some cases, you say, look, it makes sense. We're going to have individualized pieces. So there's a really healthy balance with that. Yeah. Are there any frameworks that you use consistently within Paycor, and that that might seem like a weird question, but I'll give you a little bit of context. And I've been thinking about this recently, which is there's so many books out there and there's so many assessments out there and you can strategize and read and assess yourself to death and not really get anywhere. And so at some point you have to commit that like, this is the assessment we're going to use. This is the framework we're going to use when it comes to leaders, we're going to build them this way. Are there any frameworks that you use within Paycor that have sort of woven themselves into the fabric of the organization? I would say where we're most centered around today, and I wouldn't say it's a framework, but um, our guiding principles are an anchor for us. So when I think about some of how you build the, the framework, that is so kind of front and center with us for how, how we act, how we behave. So there's a component of that that you really got to think about how this shows up in these, these different pieces. When it comes to assessments, I think Paycor in the past, and this is and this is where when you think about the maturity of organizations where you go from 50 people to 100, 500, 1,000, 15, and now, now you're you know, almost 2,000 people and your population's growing, your scope, your geography across the organization and those things. Over time, like you've gone out and you've grabbed this assessment here, that assessment there. So you've kind of got a hodgepodge of stuff you really start to take a step back and look at which ones make sense because you're probably going to have a a handful of them because they do different things. So uh, your your 360, your emotional intelligence quotient, your leadership potential, and you're going to have the different ones. So we, we do things like insights. So insights is a tool that we have said, look, this has got the most traction. So even though we may have had like Myers-Briggs or DISC or things like that before, we may say, look, Insights Now, that is our tool because we've got some people trained in it. It's got more traction. People speak about that. We're able to, to bring that to life in different coaching and team sessions and things like that. So again, it's an evolution. But th- those are the types of things we're looking at. So I can't say like, yeah, here are the three to four for sure. But it is like, here are the categories and here's our tools today. And here are the decisions we're making to say, look, this is a tool and start to put a flag in the ground. But like Insights is a great example of, look, Disc, Myers-Briggs, all those, they, they all do the same thing. They're just a little bit different. So pick one you like and stick to it. And that's always my advice. Like, Yeah, that, that's. I think people get screwed up. And I know I've made this mistake in like thinking that you got to get all this perspective from all these different assessments. And I think you just have to, to your point, you got to pick one that works for you, understand how to use it, and then use it consistently. And then you that way you have good, solid reference. You have good learnings from the tool or from the framework. Well, there's the organizational speak is a big part of it too. So if you're talking about DISC or Myers-Briggs or Insights, you got a, a color over here, you've got a DI over here, and you've got a, a ENTJ. Like you've got three different vernaculars and it doesn't mean stuff to different folks. So part of it too, I mean, I'd always encourage folks is, I don't care which one, but pick pick one, keep it simple, and then just make that you know, part of what you do and how you talk about it. Yeah, you need a standard language for sure. And that goes back to your comment before where you said, you know, we, we're really values-based. I think, did you say values-based or? Yeah, we said with gu- guiding principles. It says, it says, guiding principles. So 
I mean, you, that's your own framework, right? That's one that you've developed yourself. And I think if you're really using that effectively, those guiding principles can be good. Can you talk to either what those guiding principles are or how they were developed and how they get used? Yeah. So I mean, I can talk a little bit about like, there, there are things like, like compete to win, you have to you know, take care of each other, customer first, have fun along the way. I'm missing something in there. I, I know. I'm well, how, how are they used? Like, are they brought up in company-wide meetings? Are they used to make decisions? Like we talked about making them part of the language. Like how do they actually get brought into the real world and actually influence decisions that you're making? Yeah. So, so the way that the guiding principles really show up, and this is, I think this is the, the best practice when you think about organizations and how they, they use them is Bill talked about, he talked about hire and the behaviors out of those. And then those behaviors, again, tie back to, to the guiding principles. So if you're talking to a candidate, if you're interviewing that, that candidate and you're measuring and assessing against those, it's showing up in your hiring practices. Um, it shows up when, when somebody comes into the organization, they're going through the onboarding program and you talk about the guiding principles and you talk about the pay for story and who we were and how we evolved to, to where we're at today. And you give stories and examples about uh, the guiding principles and how they show up. And they do, they show up in our uh, communications, they show up in the messaging, they show up in some of the events, the activities, like they just become this kind of drumbeat of who we are and how they show up. So it's hard to say like one specific place, but it weaves into recognition or weaves into learning in the communication. It goes into when you start to have those talent conversations, um, you talk about performance. You also talk about like behaviors and those things and the guiding principles around like how people show up. Cause it's not always about just the results and the performance. There's also a component of how you get things accomplished, how you get things done. And that's where the guiding principles yeah, show up into it. So it really is. Um, and as we continue to, to build it out and build out more programs, they're really kind of that that fabric and that red thread like that flows throughout everything that we do just to make sure that they're in alignment, that you're taking every opportunity to reinforce it. And that's what we hear. But we just did a survey uh, for our associates just to do a quick like yeah, pulse. And um, culture is really important. Guiding principles are really important. Taking care of each other and our clients. Like that. that's what Paycor has been about for so many years. So uh, it's just kind of in the DNA. And Bill, you've been there a little bit longer are they the same guiding principles that were there when you started or have they evolved in some way? Can you, can you talk to that? Yeah, they definitely have evolved along the way. But I guess if you, you look back where we were five plus years ago with those guiding principles versus now, a lot, a lot of similarities. Like Nathan said, you know, do the right thing, take care of the customer, you know, thing, things like that. And when we're talking about you know, talent acquisition and attracting the individual to to the organization. A lot of the times, the 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 first time a potential pay core employee sees those is is during the can experience. And a lot of times, what they're doing is looking at our careers page and our website, and they're seeing those out there. And I would probably say ninety percent of the time, it's a candidate coming back to us in one of their first emails and say, "Yeah, learned about the organization, love the growth, love the story, love all that." What really struck me was your guiding principles, especially X, right? That one really pulled at my heartstring or whatever you want to say. That was a little goofy. But there, there are a lot of the times, you know, the first ones mentioning it to us before we even get to, to talking about those with them. Yeah. And I, I'm curious about that. I was talking to somebody else for the show and they were talking about how every couple of years they go back and they, they reassess and they tweak those 
to just keep honing in and getting as crystal clear as they can. They essentially haven't changed in principle, but they're just trying to really get specific and get to that message that really clicks with their people to be like, yeah, that defines us. So I was curious how you have evolved that over time. How has the shift to a fully virtual world impacted your business? Because from the conversations we've had before, I understand that the business was kind of going that way a little bit, although you were doing a lot of on-site training, as you've talked about, but just with your expansion going into other markets, that kind of a thing, you know, this is sort of fast forwarded that. What has that experience been like for you? This is major. It's a big deal, right? It, Pre-COVID, you know, we we had built out our corporate headquarters. We had continuing purchase up, purchasing up and or and or leasing real estate to expand, you know, out west and down south, and even in some cases the Midwest. And for ninety percent of the candidates that we were out there sourcing, we were sourcing in those markets, and then maybe ten percent was a, a nearby market or somebody that we would have to to, to relocate. So if COVID has provided one single blessing to companies. It's absolutely the ability to operate as a, a virtual first organization. And, and that's what Paycor's done. We've now said we're virtual first. And what that's allowed us to do, just talk sourcing for a minute, is now we're maximizing a TAM sourcing approach. And it's the same thing like the sales vernacular. TAM for us in sourcing is the total addressable market. And it's it's a game changer. So we're now utilizing a, a, a TAM approach to source nationally versus locally. And we, we trained the, the recruiting team on this about two months ago. T- TAM looks at the total addressable candidate markets and helps whittle down where pockets of, of talent are that you want to spend your time sourcing. So essentially, it's a three-step process. One, determine the size of your total addressable market using quality and affinity scores. Two, determine the size of your total addressable market for a specific skill set and position. And then three, quite simply, you just prioritize your outreach efforts and you you, you craft your intentional messaging based on that. And and net-net, it's just a more advanced sourcing play. The, the cool thing about this is you can narrow this technique down even further. Let's say if you want to leverage comp data, i.e., you know, you really want to get intentional and specific to source from a regional pockets of talent that sync up with your, your targeted comp ranges. Um, so a lot of really cool stuff going on there, especially all that has been brought to the forefront because of COVID. I, I don't think we would be a a virtual first company without COVID hitting. So is that then going to be the new standard, even when we get out of this, whenever that happens? That is the standard. Yeah, COVID and the pandemic has definitely helped um, accelerate and given us that, that opportunity. And I think it's an interesting one because to Bill's point, if you look at where Paycor was growing you know, geographically and even the types of leaders that, that we're bringing in, uh, to the organization and just like that that footprint, it, it was changing. So if you think about the organization and where it was, and it was predominantly a Cincinnati-based like re- regional company and those things. So this really gave us an opportunity to also just kind of accelerate and to, to, to change the mindset around that because the footprint is growing, that the base is growing and all those things. And we can work from anywhere and we've got the technology and we pivoted 
And then w- within a couple of weeks, which is the crazy part when you think about this, and every company r- really did, but you're, you're forced to do it. And it was seamless. So when you ask the question about how the, like how this positions us to set stuff differently, I think Bill hit on a big piece of it. It gives us a completely different and a broader pool to be able to go um, identify and attract talent from a, a, a business standpoint. For us, I mean, it's just, it's a flexibility thing. I mean, it's something for us, like you don't have to be in the same office. You don't have to be sitting ne- next to each other. And um, yeah, it takes some getting used to and the technology and then those things, but it definitely just, it just broadens your, your opportunities. It broadens the horizon. Uh, I think when you look at like the, the sales team and those regional groups, it also levels the playing field a bit. And I, I say this in a way really because if you think about a company that has historically been a Cincinnati-based company, its headquarters are there, there's always a piece of like, if you're not in the headquarters, it's a different feel for you. So if you're sitting in Jacksonville or if you're sitting in Kansas City, if you're sitting in a regional sales office in St. Louis, you know that that office, like, you know, some of the bigger things that happen in headquarters, like you're not necessarily as connected to those. So if you're the one person on a team that is dialing in and everybody else is sitting around a meeting room, your experience is a lot different. Now we, we, we've jumped in, everyone's on Zoom, everyone's collaborating differently and things like that. And yeah, we still have to figure out uh, and continue to, to really make sure that we don't lose the connections and the social aspects and all those. But when you think about productivity, performance, and everything that you're able to do and without a commute time or without this and this, like, it's really, really cool. And the feedback has been exceptional. And almost like surprisingly so, I was looking at results this week really, really positive. I mean, I think for us, we were concerned because you're doing it in the midst of a pandemic also where virtual first, outside of a pandemic, people would still meet up. They'd still have a happy hour. They'd get together. They could touch down in our office space for collaborative project kickoffs and like bigger group things. Look, we've been really, really focused on our associate health and safety. So those things haven't happened, but we're still seeing really good feedback and really good strides and still really working hard to make sure that those human interactions and connections are happening. But once the pandemic lifts, I mean, we'll be that much further along that people will start to interact again and things again. But we've really, really honed into how to work effective virtually. And that's been, um, like I said, it's been a really, really nice surprise, but also just you know, really excited to see like how excited our associates are for the most part. Do you have any plans for when you do come back to the office for how to keep everybody feeling the same, whether they are the single virtual employee or whether they are in Cincinnati? Because you're still going to have most of your people are either around an office or around the Cincinnati headquarters. So that's a that's a good question. But what I will say is we will never go back to the office the same way. So we have set that out there. We set the expectation. So if we had. 1,400 seats in our headquarters before, and we have 500 seats when we ultimately end up opening the office back up after the, the first of the year. Reconfiguring space, and it was, I mean, it was nice space. Like it wasn't like it needed to be reconfigured in those things, but it's now being really reconfigured to more spacing, collaborative space, even more so than it was before, because it will be a, a touchdown space for us. So look, you want to go in there and reserve office space. You've got something going on. You've got team meetings. Yeah, you go in there, you get your social interactions, you connect, you you do it, but you're going in there with an intent and a purpose. You're not going in there to sit down at your desk with your head down, cranking out emails. You can do that at home. So it becomes a lot more purposeful as to when we use the office. So in those things, people will still fly in. They'll fly in when you're doing those touchdown events. You'll reserve space. Like if, if I need a break and I just want to go in and get a change of steering, I'll reserve a spot and I'll go into the office. So 
I think the expectation is the playing field is not going to be the same. So you're not going to have everybody in the office anyway. And if you do have one of those touchdown events, those people are going to be traveling and they're going to be coming in for it. So you've kind of flipped the, the switch a little bit or the script a little bit on not having the haves and have nots of everybody's here. I'm not, but um, look, yeah. that, that's the thought. It sounds great. Remember we're going to see as, as it plays out. So talk to me in six yeah. months and uh, the, the whole world. We'll see six months. That's optimistic. I've heard, some companies are saying they're going to be virtual till next August. Uh, we, yeah, we, we, we've we got pieces in place to continue to evaluate, to, to make sure, see, but, but that's what we're tracking towards. So. Sure. Well, I know we're almost up on time here. I've got a couple like quick hit questions that I usually wrap this up with. What for each of you are you the most sick of talking about when it comes to your jobs right now? Well, you can go first. Probably virtual first. Literally, it's everything, every meeting, all day, every day. But the the good thing there is what we've done, what Nathan's team's done, what other teams have done to make this such a smooth transition from office to virtual first is incredible. Um, and as Nathan said, we've got some really good feedback from from associates that they're enjoying this. Their coffee's tasting a little different each morning since they don't have to make the commute. So definitely for me, it's virtual first. I'm going to e- echo that. And I think it's cool. And I think we've done some great stuff. I just want that to be like who we are and not be like this special conversation each time. But it's still the evolution. But it's virtual first, but it's a the COVID piece of it too, because I mean, you talked about like return to work and mom calls a couple times a week at least and it's health attestations and it's um, again, yes, spacing, social distancing back in the office. Can people have gatherings? Can they get together to events? Like it's on all the time. So I will be really happy when we're not having the the COVID uh, discussions as well. But I think everybody's probably that boat. Yeah, I'm in that boat for sure. Well, and to your point about being sick of the virtual first stuff, the leadership development group that we work with talks about how when the leaders start to get sick of the message, that's usually just the beginning of when everyone else starts to hear it. So you got to, you got to keep it going through that. I try to remember that when I get sick of things, what are you most excited about right now? I think on the TA side, there's a lot of cool technology out there right now that can help drive automation in the future. And two that I'm most excited about you know, outside of Payforce growth and what we're doing and, you know, the, the, the future there. I'm excited about bot automation. You know, that that's one through the can experience, more on the scheduling side. And then two, really excited about kind of referral algorithms that can sync up an associate's profile, have the algorithm scrape profile versus job description and provide a recommendation and a, a quick one click to refer um, through that through that algorithm. So th- those are two things I'm really excited about, at least within the, 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 the TA space. Those do sound interesting. So Nathan, uh, same question to you. What are you most excited about right now? Look, I mean, I, I think the thing for me, um, in the, the excitement here is it, it really is about Paycor and the, the journey and where we're at. Like I said, I, I haven't been here as long, but I just went through a very, very similar the journey and transition, as I think about the company I was at before, where it was 1,500 people when I started, it was 10,000 people when I left. It was, yeah, it, just, just the growth through an IPO, through private equity from the sixth largest in the U.S. to the, the, the largest from an international standpoint of this fintech space. And I stepped into Paycor and seeing where we're at, seeing 
the, the growth, seeing the, the new leadership team that's really been brought in and in place. And then I just look at my own like experience and the perspective is I think Paycor is, is right there and how these next yeah, months and these next years play out. I think we've got a really, really good opportunity. I think Paycor, I mean, I, I'll say like, I think it is, it's a destination company. I think it's doing a ton of stuff. I think the future is really bright for us. So when I look at where we're at, that's what gets me excited because as you go through those things and whether that is just continued growth in the space that we're in, whether that's now, IPO and different investments and things like that, that creates opportunities for all of the associates. It creates opportunities for folks like Bill and myself to do really cool stuff. It's fun. Like it's a fun journey and it's going to be challenging and all those, but I think Paycor's positioned exceptionally well. So if you ask me what I get excited about, like that's it. Cool work's always going to be there. There's always going to be a challenge and something like that. But I think uh, it's fun to do it when the company is really cranking and positioned well. And that's, that, that, that's where I see Paycor is. So last question, and this is my deep esoteric one to end on. What is the purpose of business? It feels like a bill question to, to jump in on that one. <laughs> <laughs> weird. I was just going to say the same thing about you. <laughs> you know, so for, for me, I probably answer this a lot different than, than a lot of other individuals. Maybe, maybe not, but it's to create value for society, whether that's a cash-oriented response, which that's what it is coming from me. Um, it's to stimulate citizen dollars that are ultimately going to be reinvested out into the local towns and economies that ultimately stimulate the U.S. economy, right? That's, that's part of the reason we all do what we do. Definitely not the only reason, but definitely, you know, one of them is value creation. I love that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's really about like the, the good of service. I mean, it, it's providing uh, an output of service, a good out to, uh, to, to, to the people. But to me, it also comes down to, again, just like the societal piece of it of um, the, the people, the jobs. I mean, every business, um, it's about the people. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's the, the tech or the machinery and those things. I mean, it's as good as the, the, the designers, as good as your R&D, as good as like the, the folks on the front line. So I think that's the piece for me when it's putting out something that, that people want, so whether that's the service or the good, but it's also that, that part of like the, the community and the societal piece of it and things. So that, that's the view that I'd have. I think those are both great views. It's funny. Everybody gets a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> when I ask that question. But everybody has given a great response and they've all been a little bit different. So I just find that to be interesting to get everybody's take on it because everybody does come at it from a different perspective. And, you know, we all sort of hear what business should be from other people, but we often don't articulate it ourselves in, in what we think the purpose is. So appreciate you guys bearing with me to answer that question. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's been fun diving into this. Really appreciate your time. Uh, look forward to sharing this with everybody. I think you guys, like like you said, you know, it's been a great ride so far and you've got a, a big ride ahead of you. And so th- that should be exciting. I, I wish you the best. I yeah, appreciate Thanks it. My, my pleasure, Brian. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.